the other thing is that we, we are using a cognitive, what's known as a cognitive distortion, okay? And that's predicting the future. So I don't think that, in a sense, we are at least. So it's predicting the future is a cognitive distortion because we can't really predict the future. So you can use that tool to be prepared for the conversation, but you can't predict how it's going to go. Right. And you can't predict that it's even going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to be prepared for the potential, but once again, you can't let it consume you because you're when you're using your brain for that, and I have trouble with this, I'm, I'm speaking of this through experience, you know, not just education, but when you have... When, when you're constantly ruminating on either the past, the future, or potential future, whatever, you're predicting the future, you're not using your brain for other things that are more productive. Right. You know, you, we, we need to be using our brains in the current moment to be growing our confidence, both specific and general, in, in different ways, yeah. you know, and doing relaxation. You know, the more relaxed we are and the, and the less, like, maybe judgmental we are. Um, the less anxious we are, things like that, we, our brains just tend to work better anyway. Yeah. The Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Hey, thank you for checking into this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to remind you all one more time to go to buyjack.com slash CEP pick up all of your CEP network gear, including the new hoodies, coffee mugs, and koozies, representing all three of the shows on our network, including CrusherCast, Raised on the Radio, and of course, the CEP. Also, head on over to truenutrition.com for all of your nutrition and supplement needs, and when you check out, be sure to use the code CEPN for a 5% discount on your total order. Now for this episode, Colt and I bring a cerebral chat that we titled Therapy Session. During this episode, we unpack the concept of confidence, how it plays a role in our lives, and the efforts and pitfalls we experience while trying to build confidence. We also discuss making amends for wrongdoings, how anxiety alters our perceptions, and much, much more. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to keep those big, beautiful brains of yours warm again. So without further introduction, here we go. The training that you're doing, because that was all kind of leading up to why you're doing this leadership training, the actual training that you're doing, one of the bullet points was on confidence. And so you and I kind of discussed a little bit about, you know, confidence and how to gain it. So let me ask you a question, put you on the spot, see if you can answer. If you have, I don't know, one component, uh, one approach to building confidence in something, what approach do you take? What, what, What to you what kind of behavior or what kind of uh, pattern or whatever causes you to build confidence in something that you're doing? I'm not really sure how to answer the question. I guess my idea would be just doing something over and over again, Mm -hmm. like repetitive, repetitive to where you get comfortable doing something. That's good. My, when I thought about that question myself, the first word that came to my mind was persistence. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying. Yeah. You have to practice at it. You know, like you were saying with disc golf putting, practice, you know, kind of makes perfect. I mean, it takes a lot of work and chances are you'll never be perfect, perfect, but perfect really doesn't exist, right? right? Perfect is a path. It's not a destination, Mm -hmm. you know, so you're just striving to achieve perfection, but that striving never ends that, that path never, you know, stops. Right. So I, I would say persistence is the number one thing that you need in order to gain confidence in something. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but, but so define confidence. What is confidence for you? What does that mean? Uh, I don't know. It's hard not to 
loop around back to the word confidence when you're thinking about the definition of confidence. Yeah, I don't know what another word would be to use. Um, yeah, I guess just confidence is like being confident, right. like in in what you're doing or how you're doing things or something along those lines. I don't know. It just confidence is not something that's ever come easy to me. Hmm. Why is that? I don't know. So confidence is something that's heavily intuitive, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning that you just kind of know, you know, it's hard. It's not tangible, really. Mm -hmm. You just know. And the word that comes to my mind, one word that kind of coincides with confidence that helps define it is being sure. Yeah. Being, being sure that you have the ability to do something. And sometimes that correlates with something that you've never even done. Right. Yeah. Like, for instance, if you are a good athlete in basketball, because I'm looking at Kobe right now and he's inspiring me from the other side. He um, I'm just saying if like, say, Michael Jordan, because he was so good at basketball, he felt like he could have a pretty good shot at baseball, too. Mm -hmm. You know, so that correlated into something that not that he never played baseball, but it correlated into something that he wasn't doing day in, day out mm -hmm. because he was such a good athlete. He had that confidence in his athletic abilities. Right. And that can, that can be the same thing. If like, if you're a good factory worker, right. And you're good at building this thing, but you've never built this thing before, but you, you're confident because you work the line, you kind of know the process, you know, the, the culture, you know, because factories have a unique culture in my opinion. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're, they're a, it's a certain thing. It's a different world inside those walls. Yeah. But you're confident in that one, and so you, it translates into this over here as well, even though you have no experience building what they're building, mm -hmm. right? And so confidence is very intuitive, and it, and it can it can coincide with other things because you, you build that confidence. And I think there's also a general confidence that you can build too, just general in anything. That's a little different for me, you know, because even though I'm sure of myself in just in a general sense, it also means that... I don't let failure get to me. And okay. that's where, that's where it, by my experience, that's where my lack of confidence has come from is a fear of not being, and it still happens on the disc golf course. I don't want people to see me suck. Yeah. You know, and so it, it destroys my confidence. It, it, it alters and, and it messes up my game yeah. because I'm so distracted by that notion that they're going to see me look silly yeah you know even though half the most of the time i'm sure especially once they see me suck they're like they're not even trying to watch yeah you know they've got better things to do but in well, my mind they're they're eyeballing my every move and they're see, they're saying man look at this guy he really sucks right and and that goes to goes back to a feeling for me like mm -hmm. i hate the feeling of that like the day that me and you were golf or were playing disc golf and I got that disc stuck way high up in the tree and we tried to throw rocks at it and stuff, there were other guys like walking around. You were just automatically just grabbing rocks and throwing them up there and everything. And my, I'm like constantly looking over to see if other people are looking at me. And that I, I fight that a lot because it's just the feeling of knowing that somebody else is looking at something that you failed at. And I know, and I try to make myself feel better sometimes because I'm like, I'll probably never see these people again in my entire life. So whatever happens right now in the next five minutes doesn't matter because mm -hmm. they're not doing anything to you or saying anything to you. They're just looking your way and then they're never going to look at you again. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Like I'm still fighting that feeling. And I guess that's just fighting, just knowing you're getting judgment from other people. And judgment's a big topic too that we could probably break down if we wanted to at Absolutely. some other point. But yeah. I'm, and I've noticed 
I know that I'm a judgmental person also. I try not to be, but it just, I mean, for it just happens in general for everybody. Every, you can say that you're not judgmental at all, but when you see people in certain scenarios and stuff, you're ju- you have judgment on people. It's just the way we live life. Um, how you, how you act or how you react to that judgment's a different thing. And how long it sticks with you. And how long it sticks with you, yeah. You could be passing in judgment. And you're right, we could unpack this for a long time. Yeah. But in, anyway, I'm not even going to go down the rabbit hole. You go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's my biggest thing is like, I know that I can be judgmental to some people. And I know what that feeling feels like. So it's even worse for me when I feel like somebody else is judging me because I know I would do the same thing. Yeah, you're projecting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So... That it's interesting because I, I feel like we could actually use some interventions in order to alleviate that that feeling. Oh yeah. But maybe maybe we'll get into that in a minute. But it still is also equally as interesting to me at this point that the the the, the difference between the two things, the two like what I consider specific and general confidence. Because the specific is your ability to throw the disc in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. I mean because let's face it, you had to throw that disc pretty high to get it that high up in the tree. <laughs> you know, it was going places. Yeah. If not for that tree. Yeah. You know, the ones I hate the most when I throw them is when I they just take off and they go about you know thirty feet and then they roll and they are flipping <laughs> all over the place and it still doesn't go very far at all. Which I'm getting better at, by the way. <laughs> uh, really practicing my roll. Not you know. Um, but that that's a specific though when you know you can throw a disc well. But to have general confidence means that you maintain confidence in the face of failures, such as throwing a disc in the tree yeah. and getting past that. Mm-hmm. So that's two very – I also feel like there's two different approaches to that too because we're talking about confidence and how to gain it, right? That was mm-hmm. the bullet point that you, that you brought to the table today. Well, I think those are the two, as far as I'm concerned, the two main kinds of confidences that I live with every day. But the approaches are much different. The one is repetition. It's the persistence. It's the practice. And of course, we could break it down and say that the intervention for the general confidence takes a lot of persistence too, because it, it's a, it's psychological. It's a mindset, right? Yeah. It, it also comes from, and they're symbiotic in nature, because your, your general confidence should grow as your specific confidences grow in whatever it is that you're doing. When you're good at your job, you're confident in that. You're confident in your work ethic. You're confident in maybe your interpersonal skills, whatever. You're confident in disc golf. You know, you're confident in podcasting, whatever the case. So you're confident in these these areas, these domains of your life. And so therefore your general confidence should be that rising tide. Right. You know, I, I I know that I feel like that you and I have both gained a lot of confidence just from being in the gym, just from looking good, feeling good, getting stronger, getting bigger, you know, Mm -hmm. that adds a general confidence as well. Yeah. Whereas if I still had like stick arms, you know, um, I didn't feel as confident, you know, Mm -hmm. I I didn't feel like, and some people would make comments, which it it is what it is. I'm talking back when in my early twenties, I had stopped working out, um, a couple of years before that, my arms got small again, you know, and, uh, some people make passing comments, friends, you know, mm-hmm. well, with your little, don't break your arms trying to pick up that box or something. <laughs> you know, it, it was a joke and I didn't really take it uh, really hard at the time. I, I, I didn't shed a tear, but it did stick with me. I, I noticed it, you know, it was mm-hmm. that thing in my mind. Anyway, uh, I feel like all these things raise your general confidence, but general confidence is also, it is, it is, uh, 
manipulated, it, it changes by your perspective and your dealing with failures. Mm-hmm. Because each one of those failures knock us down. Just because you were worried about those people seeing us throwing rocks at your disc doesn't mean that it was going to affect your specific skill, your specific confidence of throwing a disc, right? Right. But it was that general confidence that was being attacked because you were projecting judgment that you would have maybe given to somebody back to yourself from them because you know that you would have been, you know, so maybe not in that case, but just in general, you would have been projecting some kind of judgment. So how does that work when like, say I can, I can throw a disc all day long and be perfectly fine. But as soon as a group of people come up and see and watch me throw now confidence goes down, is that the confidence goes down or it's just, you're worried about what other people's perception of you throwing is. That's, that's a deep question because I think it's, in part, at least, probably in large part, performance anxiety, which I have greatly, you know, in, in some, not that, that in, not in everything. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say not in everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> performance anxiety as in as something that I don't have a lot of general confidence in, or specific confidence, I should say, yeah. in, you know, because I'm not very good at disc golf yet. I'm getting better and better. I'm mm-hmm. birdied a hole. My first hole last time go. I was out. There you go. A three par, par three. But um, because I know that I suck and because I, I'm pretty, I readily say that too. And it's something that I should work on as well. You know, because I, I feel like being a loser, I'm honest. I'm not going to tell you that I'm good or anything like that when I'm not, you know. And I don't really rail on myself per se, but you got to be careful about how you how you frame yourself, even when you're joking. And you know, I've heard people and seen writing, you know, people who wrote things like that. You've got to be careful about you know, being careful about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to treat yourself good. And that includes being your biggest cheerleader and, and cutting yourself some slack, so on and so forth. So I feel like because they're watching and I know I'm not good, it really gives me a lot of performance anxiety, you know. Gotcha. When I played basketball in school, I, I was pretty good, you know, and the competition was so fierce and it was just like, bam, bam. And I was, I was the guy running up and down the court the whole time I was out there. I never stopped. You know, I was, I was the snowbird, you know, when at the free throw line, I was at half court waiting and I, I would, or I'd, I'd kind of inch my way up toward whoever was shooting a free throw. And then I would take off as soon as that second free throw, if it was a two shot free throw, um, I would take off waiting for that. It was, I had a lot of confidence. It didn't matter who was in the stands. It, you, you, it could have been 20,000 people there. I wouldn't have cared, right? Right. Disc golf, if there's one guy over there that's I, probably not even paying attention to me, it gives me performance anxiety. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So th- there's there's that. I, I think in that, that also kind of, you can overcome that, but it can override your general confidence. Yeah. Uh, and maybe even your specific confidence, right. you know, if, if, if you have it like that, if you're so worried about what they might think, if they're looking at all, you might be really good at disc golf, but because they're watching, it's like test anxiety. Yeah. You, you, you sink. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I had that, and I guess looking back on it, like I had a great childhood growing up, no issues at all. Um, but I never had really like anybody especially when it came to, came to sports and stuff like that, I never really had anybody pushing me to be a lot better or anything than I ever was. Mm. I mean, you know, I played basketball forever, like from second grade through high, through senior year, I played basketball and I loved playing. I just, so I never, like I never really got yelled at growing up as a kid, like ever. Um, and I never, 
like I said, I didn't really have anybody motiv- like really motivating or pushing me to be better or to, you know, to practice every day. I just kind of did that on my own. Mm. And I'm not saying I was real great or anything, but I was, I was a pretty decent player. Um, like I said, I never really had anybody yell at me. Um, and I didn't really do well with that, like in sports, like having, cause that was, I mean, that's a way of coaches do a lot. Like they did, it's just uh, the nature of the game. You know, you do something wrong, you get, you know, not, you don't get yelled at, but it's kind of like, you can feel like they're disappointed in you for making an error or mm-hmm. making a mistake or something like that. And then I feel that. And that always like, I, I feel like that was one thing and it's inside my head, but that's one thing where, why I wasn't better than I could have been, I think is because I always, I always let shit get way too far in my head and d- couldn't dig my way out of it yeah. in certain, certain situations, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I can look back now at certain scenarios where I could have put in more work and I didn't, but I was also younger and I didn't know, I guess I didn't know I needed to put in all the extra work. Cause I was still trying to be a kid too, you know? Sure. Um, so I don't know. I, I just see, I, I, I look back at the people who put in a lot of fuckload more work than I did mm-hmm. and they were starters and I wasn't. And there was a reason for that because they did. But for some reason, I don't know if it's an ego thing or what. I just didn't feel, I didn't, I didn't put in the work that I needed to, to be where I wanted to be, I guess. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And you just had a different drive. Yeah. You know, some people are driven to that kind of thing naturally. You know, they just, they just, they see something like that and they just go get it. Your, your drive was different mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And and that's okay. Cause at the end of the day, what you're talking about is something that I deal with too. And I'm getting better and better. Granted, I'm middle-aged man now, but I, you know, you never stop learning through your whole life. But I've, something I've struggled with a lot was why didn't I do this as a, as a kid, you know, growing up, why didn't I do that harder? Why didn't I do that better? Why didn't I focus on that instead of this? Mm-hmm. And you got to let that go. Yeah. You know, it, it's doing you no good. Right. You know, you have to be mindful of the present moment and what you do have and, and be solution focused and, and strengths based and go with what works. Go with your strengths now and build off of those, not your strengths or weaknesses or failures from the past. You can learn from that stuff and do better now, but you, it's, it's all about now. Right. You got to do it now. Right. And I think, I think you do that. You know, you're, you're excelling in a lot of different things in life. You're putting forth the effort. You're, you're putting in the work. You're doing that. Well, I, a lot of times feel like I'm overcompensating now in life for back then. I guess that's a, just a learning thing. Like I learned, right. I learned that I didn't get where I wanted to be when I was younger because I didn't put in the work. Yeah. Now I know if I want to get where I want to be, I got to put in the work. So I overcompensate. Exactly. But that, that overcompensation is functional productive yeah. as long as you're psychologically healthy with it you know right. as long as it's not something that's you know beating you up or anything like that you, you can use that as fuel mm-hmm. and, and that's okay so overcompensation is also another one of those terms that might have some stigma you, usually if you're overcompensating you're talking about someone who drives a big you know four-wheel drive truck lifted and things like that like well he must have a small penis you know maybe he does maybe he doesn't it's just kind of a joke because yeah. he's overcompensating but overcompensation i do the same thing i realize that I, I didn't put forth enough effort in my past. And so I try to put forth a lot of effort in a lot of things. I get kind of, you know, I don't want to say obsessive, but it leans toward that with some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I get goal-oriented, and, and I, I just want to do that thing. And to me, I want to, I want to be like that. I want to do more of that as long as it doesn't interfere, you know, first and foremost with me psychologically because that's going to cause problems across the board. 
But also, I don't want to interfere with my family, things like that. I've got kids. I want to have time with my kids. I don't want to look back and say, man, I wish I'd have spent more time with my kids because that's something I don't want to have to. You can't make up that. There, mm-hmm. there is no make. I mean, you can spend time with them as adults, but they're only kids once anyway. Um, so I, I think I think using that as fuel is, is perfectly fine. Yeah. I see that as a good thing. I would suggest one intervention for you in this particular case because you've kind of outlined your own psychological makeup and in, in, in your own thought processes in this um, performance anxiety slash, you know, lack of general confidence or something like that when people are around, or if you get something stuck in a tree, you know, <laughs> which let's be honest, that's probably going to happen again. I'm just hoping it's just a disc. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I'd recommend trying because you, you related, and this is very, very intuitive of you. It's very insightful. You related your own judgmentalness as a source of the the anxiety that you have that you possess because you project your own self onto them and mm-hmm. it, it's actually a very useful tool when you're trying to map out interpersonal relationships and, and even your own psychology because what i would suggest doing is work on your own judgmentalness yeah i know because that, it's an indirect route but if you could do that, you're going to care less about judgmentalness right. in general. Right. And if you can turn down that knob, you're likely to turn down the projection of judgmentalness because who cares, right? Yeah. As a mental health practitioner, you one might be surprised at how many times I say to clients, who cares? Yeah. Because I do. You know, it, it, when it comes down to it, it's easier said than done, right? But when it comes down to it, and I'm careful with it, you know, I'm pretty careful when I say it, but I, I tell them, I'm like, so you feel like somebody's watching because I, I work with a lot of social anxiety, things like that. Like, so what if they are? Then what? What's what's the worst possible thing that's going to happen to you? And then at some point, I'm like, so who cares? You know, right. is if they think that you, you know, said something funny or if your hair's a little messed up or something like that and they notice it, what's going to happen? Is the world going to collapse? Are you going to die? Are you even going to remember it a year from now? Right. Then who cares? Yeah. You know, and to have that kind of, I've used this intervention on myself. I had to because I was so socially anxious coming up as a, as a kid, especially. Didn't really grow out of it until I got to college after high school. It's like, that's when I just, I started saying, who cares? My, the wording might have been a little differently. I think it was more like, who gives a fuck? But anyway. <laughs> so socially anxious as in like, you just didn't want to talk to people or anything like that? Because- I was, yeah, I was so timid. Gotcha. So shy and quiet that it rubbed people the wrong way, caused them to want to pick on me because they were just trying to like get a rise out of me because I was just to myself. I was the quiet kid. Mm-hmm. And I think to some degree they were probably just trying to get me to react as they would with their friends or something like that. But yeah. I, I didn't know how to handle it. And so I ended up getting picked on and bullied a little bit. I got I had some bullying done at different times during my, my uh, school, public school career. So it was hard, and I, I didn't have the wherewithal. I didn't have the insight to say who cares until later. Yeah. You know, I tried it in high school, but that just ended up blowing up in my face. It turned into bad grades and, yeah, you know, fights and things like that. So in, in college, I really learned how to hone in on who cares, and, and because I was able to utilize that. But I still didn't have it mastered. Don't get me wrong. It was, it's been a long journey of who cares. Mm-hmm. And I'm still working on refining it, you know, because I still have some some social anxiety. I'm hypersensitive about seeing myself mess up when I talk. 
Mm-hmm. And it bothers me, especially as a professional. Yeah. Not so much in a one-on-one conversation with a client or anything like that. Because that's where my confidence is just, it, that's, I'm pretty confident in that. Mm-hmm. But working with other entities, other professionals, things like that, when I mess up, if I'm giving a training or a speech or, or something like that, yeah, man, it sticks with me forever. And yeah. I'm learning ways to mitigate my reaction to those, what I consider failures, right. you know, to raise my general confidence. Well, something I, I caught, um, and I, and I really honed in on it. Uh, I don't know if I ever really figured it out, but I was actually listening to Ryan Sickler's podcast at one point, the honeydew, and he was talking about, uh, one thing in therapy that, uh, he was going over with his therapist is like, he would formulate in his head, uh, scenarios or conflicts before he those even happened like he would be always be on his toes wondering like thinking well if this happens what am i going to do here what am i going to say here what am i going to do here when things hadn't even happened right i do that too um like i I think i do that a lot actually like i I just wonder like if i go talk to this person how's this conversation going to go what am i going to say what am i going to do and i think it goes back to a confidence thing because i'm not real confident in how the conversation is going to go or something like that and i would rather have it planned out ahead of time than to be in the moment and just be like like not like just shit coming out of my mouth because i'm not you know what i mean yeah i do I, i do that a lot and i know it's not a healthy thing to do but in my brain it kind of is because it's like well you're just ahead of the ball game or you know what i mean like you're ahead of the ball mm-hmm. why do you say it's not a healthy thing to do though what leads you to that well i mean if it's like a, if, well because if it's like a conflict situation like if you think there's going to be conflict but you don't but it's not the conflict hasn't happened yet you may be forcing conflict to happen because you're going into it okay. thinking that's a possibility self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. of types yeah right and so what if something happens that you didn't anticipate in your plan. What if it goes a different way? How do you? Right. Well, I mean, that's where you just kind of try to think about all the different ways that it could go. And you try to formulate a plan ahead of time for each way. Yeah. Not that it can absolutely go that way, but at least you have a little more confidence and you're a little more, you feel Mm -hmm. a little more prepared for something that could happen. Yeah. And I don't have, I don't have any, um, situations off the top of my head to give you on this i'm just saying i know that that's something that i do that i do sometimes sure especially if i know that not necessarily conflict but like if it could be an uneasy situation that you're going into with somebody or Mm -hmm. if you're going to talk to somebody that you don't normally talk to or something like that you know uh and nerves may be getting a little bit of the best of you and that's another thing too is with little confidence comes nerves for Mm. me at least yeah i don't know if everybody but for me it comes nerves if I start getting nerves, then all of a sudden I'm like, well, maybe I should uh, figure out how how the di- the different ways that this could go and think about ahead of time because my brain works this way. Think about ahead of time. Well, at least this way you are a little more prepared. Yeah. Just in case. So maybe it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is is it can be if you let it force you in the direction of the conflict that you're that hasn't even been there yet but you could be forcing it, not knowing it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that can't be a useful tool because I'll be honest with you. I do the same thing. Yeah. And I do it because I like, I'll give you something semi-specific when there's been a relationship issue and uh, with a woman. And so I know I've got these valid points, right. of, Of why I am now considered a jerk or whatever. Right. But in the conversation, 
when when the conversation comes up, I got nothing, and I feel like I've got nothing. And the points I do bring up, when I look back on them, they're they're kind of silly. Like they 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 weren't. It wasn't the core reason why mm-hmm. you know I I am justifying my behavior because I have solid reasons. So I make sure that I've got those solid reasons on hand, mm-hmm. right? So I kind of I, I do that. But let me tell you two things that I could think of that might be pitfalls for always projecting that because a you can be consumed by that. It's mm-hmm. like so you're not spending any time in the present. You're not being mindful. Like you're you're using your life projecting or predicting things yeah. that may or may not happen, right? So I think it also you should if you're going to use that as a tool, you should limit that time. Get your bullet points, A, B, and C, mental bullet points, whatever. If you need to write them down, go ahead and have your little notepad and say, hey, you know, if we're going to have this conflict, let me bring this up and go bullet point to bullet point. <laughs> but don't spend your life constantly predicting the future, especially yeah. revolving around conflict. You know, much of anything, I mean, even on good things, if, even if it's not conflict, if you're predicting, you know, how am I going to you know, talk to this woman or, or talk to this this during this interview or things like that, get it down, be confident in that and then move on, you mm-hmm. know, because your general confidence doesn't just rest on that one thing, man. It's, it's this always moving dial. It, it's always going up or down. Hopefully, it, you know, it's going up or at least staying up here. I mean, sometimes it's going to be somewhat steady. But most of the time, it's, you know, depending on life situations, it's going to move at least a little bit almost every day, at least in my experience, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing is that we we are using a cognitive, what's known as a cognitive distortion, okay? And that's predicting the future. So I don't think that, in a sense, we are at least. So it's predicting the future is a cognitive distortion because we can't really predict the future. So you can use that tool to be prepared for the conversation, but you can't predict how it's going to go and you can't predict that it's even going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay to be prepared for the potential, but once again, you can't let it consume you because you're, when you're using your brain for that, and I have trouble with this, I'm I'm speaking of this through experience, not just education, but when you have, when, when you're constantly ruminating on either the past, the future or potential future, whatever you're predicting the future, you're not using your brain for other things that are more productive. Right. You know, we, we need to be, using our brains in the current moment to be growing our confidence, both specific and general in in different ways, you know, and doing relaxation, you know, the more relaxed we are and the, and the less like maybe judgmental we are, um, the less anxious we are, things like that. We, our brains just tend to work better anyway. Yeah. Not that anxiety and judgment don't have their place. They both do, but something I was about to unpack earlier, I won't get into it, but how long that something that's anxiety are uh, provoking or judgmental, how long it sticks with us. Like if you say, wow, that person over there, they are out of shape. Okay. That's fine. Everybody kind of does that. Even, mm-hmm. even though we don't verbalize it cause we're not assholes. Some people do. They are assholes, <laughs> but we don't do that, but don't let it stick with you. Yeah. It's, it's a passing thing. Anxiety is actually a functional, healthy part of our psychological makeup, mm-hmm. our physiological makeup. That fight, flight, or freeze response that we have is used to keep us alive. Right. Right. The problem with anxiety is when it sticks, yeah. it doesn't go anywhere, and we get you know general generalized anxiety to some degree, or we get anxious about something. Like me, if I'm anxious about somebody watching me on the disc golf course and they've already passed. I'm still carrying that anxiety with me for another couple, two, three holes. Right. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. just go anywhere. If it's something that's major in my life, you know, well, something I consider major, a relationship type of thing or something like that, dude, I'm carrying it days, weeks, months, 
you know, that anxiety doesn't go anywhere in it. I, I've got to be careful about that because at the end of the day, we have power over that. Everything starts with a thought. And mm-hmm. that thought comes and goes. The anxiety should too. But what happens is we start, we, we ruminate, we repeat those thoughts. We don't let them go. Right. We've got to have power over our minds in order to do that. And right. in order to gain confidence, it's the same thing. Right. And I think that I've always used, like I said, you know, I the one thing I do have confidence in is work ethic. I think I've always used that as my go-to as far as if I'm not confident in something, like even if I'm doing a job, I'm not confident in it, just fucking work. Mm-hmm. Like put like put in the extra work because yes. if you did something wrong at the end of the day, you're they're still going to see you working, yeah. like ha- putting in hard work. Yeah. You know what I mean? So good. that's always been my go-to. And I think that's a good thing, but I guess it could also be a bad thing. So I don't know. Everything can be a good thing and a bad thing, I guess, yeah. to some degree. Yeah. But no, you're right. And that's something I also grew into was just putting in the work. Yeah. Like even if I suck at it, they're going to see that I'm trying. So they're going to put in a little more effort to try to get me to, to, to help me to do a good job. Yeah. Whereas, you know, when I was younger, I'd, if I was incompetent in something, I would, I would just slack and I'd go slow and mm-hmm. I'd be like, you know, forget this job. This is stupid. And get, you know, complain. And I just had a bad attitude about things. Mm-hmm. And I learned as I got older, it's like, hey, you know, this is something that you should be proud of. Like every, whatever you're building or whatever you're doing, every product or every service that you provide, it, it reflects you as a person to some degree. Right. Right. So I want, I want to be proud of my work and not so I can be boastful, but so I can feel confident. And so I can, you know, it just enhances life to have that kind of perspective, in my opinion. Yeah. How do you... So you said anxiety like sticks with you, but, and I understand that it just starts with a thought, but how do you, do you just try to push your mind to other things? How do you, how do you get rid of it, of a sticking anxiety? Yeah. You have to redirect your thoughts and and with something that, that sticks with you, like, you know, go back to relationship issues. You know, you've got to catch yourself when you're starting to go down that rabbit hole again in your thoughts because anxiety doesn't just come out of nowhere. Now, now there are, you know, this is not a universal statement. Some people just have a generalized anxiety and that could be possibly the result of a chemical imbalance. Um, it's usually because of, it could be, you know, the, the response to trauma, something like that. It could be, you know, the response to a lot of things, but just, it just anxiety and circumstantial anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll just put it that way so that it kind of hits the nail on the head a little closer. You, it's it's starting with your thoughts, you right. know, because like we'll just use emotions. Anxiety can, you know, it, it kind of bleeds over into an emotion, right? Because you feel anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you feel the physical effects of depression, but you don't, I mean, it's not like like anxiety. You, you get that pit in your stomach, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. you, you feel tense. You feel it tighten up. Which I absolutely hate that feeling. I know, right? And related to, it's related to stress very closely. And so... It's it. You can use it as you can see it as an emotion. But we'll, let's use another emotion. Let's just use um, fear as an emotion. Um, I, I, I go even better. Let's use anger because I think that's more readily tangible and easier to talk about. Because we're tough guys, we like to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about men in general, okay. you know, and not that you know no women are listening to this podcast, but. I just like to find something that's tangible for as many people as possible. And, and a lot of people in general don't really relate to fear as well as anger. Anyway, um, in, in DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, we learn to practice mindfulness and you can close your eyes and you can feel something 
and or you can even a thought works this way too but emotion is it works a little slower because thoughts go by pretty quickly one after the other and there's we don't really have much control over the next thought that pops up we're slaves to our experience and our brain just kind of runs based on the experience we've had and that's generates the way that we think and it just happens it's 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 a an automatic mechanism that, mm-hmm. that just con- controls our, our definitely our unconscious mind but emotions, you can see it as a wave in an ocean. So a wave, it comes up. You know, it comes up onto the bank. And that's when your emotion, when it, when it comes up as far as it can go, it's when your emotion is high. If you sit back and, you, and you're mindful and you, you pay attention just to the emotion, that anger will subside and it recedes and it goes away. Okay, but have you ever been angry for like an hour or a mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. right? How is that happening? It's because you're ruminating on the thoughts, you're, you keep thinking about the same thing over and over again. And so it, it becomes a vicious cycle because that wave also triggers more thoughts if you're not careful, if you're not mindful just of the emotion. Be curious about the emotion or be able to redirect your thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. My point is you can do the same thing with anxiety. But as that wave comes up, as it starts to recede, just be curious about watching it go away and redirect your thought away from whatever was provoking that anger. Right. And you'll notice that you get over that anger. You have control over this. At least in a general sense, we 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 can master, be masters of of our emotions to some degree. Now emotions do happen because we have what's called automatic thoughts as well. We don't they just trigger right. It's and it's kind of like I said the way the brain works. Mm-hmm. Something will trigger and I'll think of that thing that made me angry, the thing that made me sad, and that that emotion will come up like a wave. But if I'm if I'm paying attention and I'm mindful of the present moment, I can watch that wave recede or feel that wave recede, mm-hmm. redirect my thoughts, and I can get over it. Just, you know, it takes practice. And I'm not saying you get over it lickety-split every time, but you become a master over yourself, more like that. You can do that with anxiety as well. You just have to redirect your brain. You always got to kind of be on guard. That's why it's so important to be present in the moment most of the time, not just with what's going on in your external environment, but especially what's going on with your your mind and your body. Are you somebody that, like, if you know that conflict is ahead or you know that you whether it be professionally or personal life or something like if you know you did something wrong um, in any sense, are you somebody that like attacks that head on? Like, let's take care of this now. Or are you somebody that will ponder on it for a while and maybe just hopefully it goes away? If I know I did something wrong. Yeah. Whether it be in your personal life or work life or anything like that. Like if you made a mistake, but what that just a general statement, but if you make a mistake in any way, are you somebody that like will ponder on that for a while and just hopefully the whole situation goes away and you don't, nothing happens? Or are you somebody who like, let's attack this now and get it out of the way? It, that just depends. It okay. depends on the situation. There are a lot of different factors here. Like my daddy always told me when you know there's a problem, you face it head on. Yeah. Don't beat around the bush. Just, just get it done. Get right. it over with. Right. Because, and there's a post that I posted not too long ago. It says we suffer more in imagination than we do in reality. Right. You know, so it, that can also kind of translate into this because we suffer more. I would suffer more by letting that thing ruminate in my brain other than just getting it done and over with and moving on with my life. Yeah. Because the consequences of whatever it is that I'm dealing with, nine times out of 10 is not as bad as me sitting on that. The torture I'm going to put myself through just with my own mind. Right. Nine times out of 10. It's just better to get out of the way. Yeah. I'm the same way. Like anxiety will like get the best of me if I don't yes. just attack it head on and get it, get it taken care of now. Correct. And that's a functional anxiety there though. Yeah. So, so in order to mitigate that anxiety, you face it head on, just right. get it out of the way, get it done. Yeah. Another thing that might be coming to play there is whether or not I feel like I need to be accountable for that thing. Like if it's a mistake where I feel like 
not just anxiety, but maybe guilt, right? I don't want to carry that guilt. Mm-hmm. And I'm still guilty of whatever mistake that I made. But if I go and I make whatever amends I can, then I'm more likely to be able to let that go. Right. You know, and so that's also important whether or not there's an accountability factor there. Mm-hmm. But I can't say it's universal because in some instance, instances, I probably, if, if I feel like, um, it, it kind of goes back to one of the AA um, steps. I don't remember which, I'm not an AA um, professional or anything, but one of them talks about making amends. Mm-hmm. As long as making amends doesn't cause further harm. And I, I didn't necessarily get that philosophy from AA because I have worked with people who have, you know, are have highly closely associated with AA. But when I heard that step, I, I, I got it. You know, I felt that it got me right here because I was like, I, I get that because I've, I've kind of always been that way. If for, well, if for me to go approach something actually causes more harm than, than it does good. I'll leave it alone. It's like, do you have an example you can give on that? What um, do you mean by that? Probably not specifically, but let me just try and generalize a little bit. If I made a mistake and, and said something maybe hurtful to someone or did something that was hurtful, and I want to go say that I'm sorry to them because I feel like I need to be accountable there, but I'm pretty sure that even me being there, my presence or whatever, or, gotcha. or bringing up that thing that caused that person pain, like in past relationships, I've had, I've, I've done this. I caused somebody a lot of pain. I was a real jerk. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the, the way that it wasn't just that I broke up, the way that I did things was absolutely terrible, right? And I, I still have some measure of guilt for that, even though I've made amends more recently. So mm-hmm. that, that's good. But for years and years, I didn't. And so that was just, it stuck with it. It actually caused me to be kind of cold. Because I didn't, I didn't th- sit around and think about the guilt all the time. I just, I, I had to turn it off, and so you, you lose a part of yourself when you do that. Anyway, I felt like back then, me going to apologize was just going to bring that thing up and quite potentially cause more harm gotcha. than it would be good. You okay. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, to bring up something like that, or to bring up a, a circumstance that happened, or um, anything that you, the person even just seeing your face, and there are a lot more examples. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure I could bring up, but that's the one, the most tangible for me right now. Gotcha. Okay. You know, so mm-hmm. um, so sometimes it is best just to just to walk away and, and make peace with yourself, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, I'm not I'm not saying that I am always falling on my sword for other people, but. In, in a lot of instances, I will. I'll carry the guilt if, as long as it means that they don't have to. I don't make them suffer any more than I already did, <laughs> right. you know, or, or make them suffer at all, even if it wasn't my my thing. Right. Um, and and there, there are other instances in my life where that, that's happened. I just kind of left it alone because I pondered it. And I thought, you know what, man, if I, if I brought that up, I... I, I don't even know how I would do it. Right. Because uh, there's some that I've never made amends for, you know, but I'm at peace with it now more than ever. Yeah. Because of my conclusion. Yeah. And every time you under, you probably understand that they're not thinking about it anymore either. So. So why bring it up again? So why bring it up again when it's, yeah. I mean, yeah. they may, if they ever think about you again, when they do, they may think, hey, that guy's a jerk, but you're just you make amends with yourself that you're a jerk yeah. or you were a jerk at that time and you learn from that experience and move forward with it. And you know what? A, a different relationship, but also a past relationship of mine. I had a lot of relationship problems, dude. Sounds I'm, like I'm not it, very dude. good at this. <laughs> not very good at the whole relationship thing, but like, that's a big shock. But with another relationship, you know, a- after the breakup, we tried to stay in communication and be friends again. 
but I was always, I kept bringing it up, man, I was such a jerk. This happened. I can't believe I did that. And she was like, you know what? I remember the good stuff. I, all I was doing is bringing up shit that I was carrying on me with me. Right. She had already let go. I was reminding her of it. You know, it's like, <laughs> here, here, remember this thing that really hurt and caused you to cry. And, um, I kept bringing up the, the, the bad stuff. And, and she was like, I didn't even remember that. It's like, I, she, and she kept bringing up the good stuff that happened. And it, it really highlighted my negative perspective on things. And I still carry that with me today. I, I still, I tend to highlight the negative man. It, it's just a natural thing that I, I'm still trying to work on to be better at, you know, and, and I'm, I'm trying, but I don't know why my brain works that way. I know I have, I, you know, I, I can have more of a depressive personality if I'm not careful yeah. with, with myself and with my circumstance, because I, I just easily devolve into that because of the, the instinct, the impulse for me to go to the negative when there was a positive right next to it. And the positive was awesome. Yeah. But it's downgraded because of that negative that my brain highlights. Right. It, well, it's, it's hard to work with, man. I think there's there's people out there, too, that can be like the most optimistic people ever, but they can still be carrying like guilt and stuff like that. But they've learned how to not show that to other people. So it's almost like a, a game, I guess. Like they're just because I'm feeling this inside, I'm going to counteract that by making everybody else around me feel like everything's great or be extremely optimistic to people, even though I'm pessimistic mm-hmm. inside. I don't know that I guess you got to find an even balance with that too. Yeah. Well, if that's, I mean, that's more like a flex, that's more like them, you know, not being genuine in a sense, I guess yeah. with, with their true self. But I think other people really just, they're able to let the negative go and, and focus on the positive. And that's, it's a coping mechanism, but it's, it's very productive. Yeah. It's very healthy, you know, yeah. because they're, they're actually literally able, even though the, they might be able to recollect on a on an intellectual level that thing that happened, you know, as a memory. They don't let it impact them emotionally, you yeah. know. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people too. Like, we we both know a lot of pessimistic people who are just like everything is, you know, complaining and griping and this the the they see the worst in every situation and stuff. And I, you know, I I I, t- I do that sometimes too, but I normally just think about it. I don't normally say it out loud. To people, yeah. you know, but there's people that I've worked with in the past and stuff like that. There's just every day, it's something's wrong here, something's wrong there, this, that, and the other. And I'm just like, how do you do this? And I'm like, oh, you just say it. I don't. <laughs> 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 like, I, I think this, a lot of the same things that you do, but I just keep them in my head gotcha. and judge other people yeah. instead of telling everybody that I judge other people or that, yeah. It's, just letting your judgments be known. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, though. Because I really don't judge people. I, I I just, I don't walk around really very often and say, man, that guy's fat or, or man, that, that girl's ugly or something. I just don't do that. I, I don't I don't even notice. And I, I sometimes I feel like I'm not as observant as I should be because I don't notice these things. Like someone said, did you see that giant mole on that? No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I really didn't. And see, so, I, I'm, I'm the absolute opposite of that, but... Um, it's all, it's normally just a single thought that I've let that, it, that I don't know how to not let happen. You know what I mean? Like sure. if there's an obese person, of course, like I see them in my head, it's like, oh, that guy's really big. But then the thought goes away and then I just keep on moving. Yeah. Right. Now, I don't know if that's considered judgment or not. I mean, it kind of is, but it's also like just an observation of something or of somebody you know, that person's really ugly. Okay. That's my thought. 
that was a thought. Now it's gone. Yeah. It's over with. I've, I've moved on. I feel like it'd be more judgmental if it was me telling you beside me, dude, that guy's huge. And <laughs> <laughs> that would be more of a judgment. I mean, observation too, but I guess they can both go hand in hand with each other. Yeah. I mean, I, judgment comes with the observation. You have to observe right. the person first and then, you know, then the judgment comes. Right. And we, I mean, we could unpack that too, as far as, because it sounds like that is one of your automatic thoughts and yeah. automatic thoughts are based on core beliefs. And we could really dig into your psyche perhaps to, to, un, to unpack that, that core belief that causes that automatic thought. And we could restructure that. Yeah. You could even restructure the automatic thought. As a matter of fact, that's usually where I would start is, yeah. is by redirecting that thought every time it comes in. It would take persistence. Right. But anyway, that would be a, a session that you might want to do in private or, or not at all. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but I don't really know, right? Like, because, I mean, how do you make it to where you don't have that thought? Mm-hmm. Like, so I guess what you're saying is you just turn that into just an observation. You put but a, you're saying you don't see it at all. Are you just blind? <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> you know, and I guess in a way, I've noticed myself that my being self-conscious causes me not to pay as much attention to other people because I'm so worried about myself. Okay. You know, anxiety, which which I do have, um, it, it doesn't surface like as as pure like the 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 knot in the stomach or that pit or that, you know, that feeling that you get. You know what anxiety feels like. If yeah. if, if you don't know, mm-hmm. then God bless you. But for those of us who have ever had anxiety, the feeling in, in your in your torso and and the stress that, that comes on the, your forehead and your shoulders tense up, things like that. Um, it doesn't always manifest as that, but I oftentimes just have a self-conscious nature about me. I'm so just not obsessed, but I'm just so preoccupied with, with myself. I don't notice other people's faults, you know? And see, I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm a people watcher and I'm, I'm so focused on everybody else around me Mm -hmm. versus myself instead. It's weird because I I observe people too. I've always been a people watcher. I, I, I I watch their behaviors. I watch their mannerism, things like that. Yeah. I do. I, for some reason, and I'm not trying to be boastful because it's kind of a, like I said, I, I kind of wish I was a little more observant on people's, you know, appearance. But and I, and I am more so now because I have to be by the nature of my position, my job, which, you know, it's been a growth period over the last nine years. But I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I just, I haven't made it a point to notice the superficial things yeah. about people, you know. And I don't think I, I, I never really have. Like, there, there was never, like, so much of a type of person, like one particular type of woman that I thought was attractive. I, I've always liked different varieties of, of women, <laughs> honestly. Because I, 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 that's not what I was looking at. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm like that per se, but one thing I do know that I've noticed more recently, and I say more recently, probably the past 10 years, when I've been able to really just focus on mental health. But I think it's because of my self-conscious nature, my own self-conscious nature. I, I know I'm, I'm too preoccupied with my own shit, man. <laughs> I haven't got time for yours. But I do study behaviors and, and mannerisms because I also connect with those things. And I relate to a lot of things. I see how the way that they're behaving, the way they're acting, they're talking, things like that. I try to relate it to myself so I can figure it out. Yeah. You know, it, because it helps me to know people better. Gotcha. Because I, I, I know what anxiety feels like. I know what it looks like. I know what self-consciousness looks like. I know what confidence looks like or the lack thereof looks like. Mm-hmm. I know what depression looks like, you know, because I've been through those things and I've studied people. And so I notice patterns. I, I, I don't look at necessarily at the physical part of people. But 
Um, there was another point that I was going to bring up earlier. What we were talking about, how did we get to this subject again? We were talking about, yeah, I know, <laughs> stupid, stupid question, right? Um, more recently, we were talking about um, being judgmental, and I was going down a rabbit hole, and now I've lost it. So, I, know, I guess the last thing that I that I think about, like I, I do, even though I I'm outside of my head a lot, looking and observing other people, I'm in my inside my head a lot too, like mm-hmm. thinking about different things, and like it get like anxiety hits me about certain things that I don't want to be like it being hypocritical. Like the thought of me being hypocritical drives me nuts. Like I I've noticed that I fight myself on speaking in absolutes a lot. Like I, I, I will speak in, uh, you know, instead of saying this is absolute fact when I, when I talk, it's more about, oh, this could be this way or this could be this way versus just saying this is absolutely how the way it is. Because I know that if something happens and that's not the exact way it is, now I'm hypocritical because I said that. Maybe hypocritical is not the word I'm thinking or I'm looking for. Um, I don't know, but in in general, I try I try not to speak in absolutes because I know people who do, and it drives me nuts because they don't necessarily know what they're talking about. Yeah, and I think social media has a big thing to do with that too because you guys see a lot of people that go on social media and it's like this is absolutely how it is, and you guys should be following this, and you should be doing this, and then you know two days later we find out that's exactly not how it is. Like you had you you were just talking out of your ass, you don't know. Yeah. And I don't want people to be able to come back on me and say, you were wrong. I would just rather not be wrong and just say, give my opinion or say it could be this way or it could be that way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I don't know that I should be doing that. I don't know that I should technically be putting myself through such, I guess, hardships in my brain by by thinking about this shit and doing the shit this way. But it's, it's an anxiety thing. It really is. Well, I mean, it's okay to mitigate anxiety, to diffuse things that might cause more anxiety. Yeah. So, but I mean, I don't know how much, you know, brain power you're putting into it. It should kind of become a habit to use I statements, to use the the, the term like this works for me, yeah. that, that phrase or a phrase like potentially or from my experience, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think those things. Well, I, I, no- I noticed like certain terms that I have somehow just started using it certain times in my life. Like I'll say in my head a lot. You'll you'll hear me on this podcast say in my head, this is how this works or mm-hmm. in my head, this is how, this is how things are done or whatever yeah. versus saying that that's how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, in my head, this is how this works. Yeah. You know, so it, it portrays that I'm, I'm saying, I don't know exactly how it works, but to me, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, so I, I don't like absolutes, not for myself. If other yeah. people use it, whatever. I, Cause I really, I've got my own thoughts about being hypocritical too. And I think we probably explored that before on previous episodes and off, off a podcast. And I mean, yeah. we, we just talk about your downfalls all the time. Yeah, really. well, yeah but it's not really my downfall, <laughs> not this one because I'm, I'm not, I, I don't see things. I, I don't really see hypocritical as a thing. Okay. You know, I, I see that people either do good things or they do, they make mistakes and they try to do better, you know, hopefully, um, I don't, a hypocrite is, is someone who to me is blatantly trying to be deceiving that, that I could define as a hypocrite, but other, other times I don't see it as being a hypocrite. So doing, um, so basically saying one thing, but doing another, you don't see that as hypocritical necessarily. You see it as making a mistake. Okay. So it, it, here, here's a scenario. My favorite one I like to use. If I take off and I run head first into that wall as hard as I can, you're going to owe me for drywall. That too. But <laughs> um, it, it, then I turn around and I tell you, don't do that. Don't run into that wall. 
Am I being a hypocrite? Because I just did it, and I told you not to do it. If if I go out and I, I smoke crack, all right, okay. and, and my life all goes downhill, and I'm living on the streets, things like that, and I and as I'm smoking crack, I tell you, don't smoke crack. It's wrong. It's bad for you. Am I a hypocrite? Because the thing that I'm saying, see, what happens is we get distracted by what is actually good or not, and, and we try to we try to judge the person based off of what they said versus what they do. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily. If you do something and then you tell the person not to do it, I don't necessarily think that means, or wait, no. Okay, so you said like you rain your head into the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're telling a person not to do that, right? but you just did it. Right. And they so might that, say, well, what a hypocrite. So I wouldn't say that's hypocritical. I would say that you just learned a lesson, that that wall's hard. What if I do it again <laughs> and tell you not to do it? I don't know. You know, and it's, I, I, I guess I guess it would have to be the reverse for me to be hypocritical. So you would have to have said, "Do not run into that wall," and then you go do it. Yeah. Okay. Vers- versus instead doing it and then telling somebody not to do it. Okay, so let's say that it's a good point. So what if I run into that wall first, then I turn around, or I, I tell you first? Yeah. Don't do it. Do not do that, and then I do it. Okay. I'm then a hypocrite. I think the only way. I don't know. See, my point is the the whole the whole concept of being hypocritical is that it takes away from whether or not it's actually a good idea to run into the wall. Right. Who cares, right? Don't do it because the idea is still solid. You shouldn't run your head for, head first into the wall, okay? Let's let's relate it to something else, something that's that's easily to uh, to direct toward uh, hypocrisy. So let's say I, I won't pick on any anyone in particular. I could I guess I will. Jimmy Swaggart. Um you I don't know if you know who he is. I know the name. He was a preacher. This happened I think before you were born even. But uh, he was a, a televangelist, big time preacher, and he had a, a huge following. My 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 family included. You know, they just they thought he was the stuff, right? And he was a good preacher. He'd said a lot of good things, you know, and and done a lot of good things. Well, he got caught, you know, cohorting or whatever with a hooker, right? Okay. Big scandal. Look at this hypocrite. This guy, man of God, supposedly, preacher, big time, telling everybody to do this, do that. But yet he got caught with a hooker, right? So he's a he's a big hypocrite. My problem is this. He made a mistake. He did. And even after that mistake was he was out of the he was out of the picture for a long time after that because, you know, obviously it was a huge mistake for him because he had so much exposure. But the ideas, if you if you follow those ideas, if you follow Christianity and those ideas, does because he made the mistake, does that mean all the ideas and all the things he, that he did good was it completely just you know worthless at that point in time? Right. I don't believe so. I, I don't believe so. And that goes not just for someone with a lot of exposure. I think it goes for everyday stuff. You know, if it goes back to, you know, if like you go back to the kids too. Like if I tell my kids, you know, don't do this. Don't have premarital sex. But dad, you did. Okay, but that still doesn't mean it's a it's a it's still a good idea not to do it. And, and because I've got points A, B, and C. But if we get stuck on that that concept of hypocrisy, then we stop listening to the actual points of of the validity of why this is either a good idea or a bad idea. Right. You know. So the whole hypocrisy thing to me is a trap. It's a trick. It's a distraction. And and I don't look for hip, hypocrites. I look for whether or not the idea is solid. If it's a solid idea. I care less what that individual does. And I know we talk about that one guy at the gym, right? The guy who just doesn't look like a trainer, but he's, uh, yeah. but he's training people. Uh-huh. You know, it, 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 maybe that's, that's a little loosely associated because it just doesn't look like he plays the part. 
you know, but a lot of trainers don't. It's it's more based off their experience. But I would be, and I haven't done this because it's it's obvious he does not look like he puts in the work, to, mm-hmm. you know, to to for other people too. But I would, in order to be able to accurately gauge whether or not he's in the right position, I would need to see what he's doing. I need because I, I don't pay attention. You know, I see him over there doing their thing, but mm-hmm. I don't pay attention. And I know it's it's you're going to reach more people probably by looking the part, playing the part, being the part, especially if you're like a personal trainer or something like that. Obviously you need to be in good shape or people aren't going to believe you. If you're some big fat guy with a beer belly and you're telling people you got to do this and that, you know, this nutrition diet, blah, blah, blah. They're going to be like, eh. but right. this still doesn't mean the guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a knowledge and an education level that mm-hmm. has nothing to do with the, you know, how you live your life. Exactly. You know, but you're going to turn around and call that guy a hypocrite because he told you to do that, but he looks, he's got a big fat beer belly. Right. Right. You're yeah. missing the idea. It, it might be a stellar diet plan. It right. might be, it, this is going to set you on fire. You're going to look like freaking the rock, but you won't because you're too hung up on what he looks like. Right. You're, you're hung up on the concept of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. It's a trap. The, the concept of hypocrisy is a trap. I feel like we should have put that somewhere else in the podcast maybe we'll bring it back up and do a show on just hypocrisy because we're almost at two hours holy shit really yeah and Damn. I, I, I feel like that's that's such an important point and I, mm-hmm. it sticks with me i've been trying to get that point across to people not that i care whether or not you know because some people by by definition they are hypocrites but that's not the point yeah the point is the idea worry about whether or not the idea is solid if it's an idea that you're that's your that you're um that could be productive for you or whatever right the other point i was going to bring up earlier just stepping back on judgmentalness just for a minute just so i can get it out of my head is that because i am not judgmental and i i I should i should rephrase a little bit too because it's not that i'm not observant i i'm very observant i'm just observant on on certain things and i i guess i if i really dig deep i do notice when there's somebody that's big Somebody that's fat or somebody that maybe has a misshapen head or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't dwell. It's like it, there's, don't, there's no judgment automatic thought like you mentioned. I don't know why. It's not because I'm this great upstanding moral person. Okay. I'm just paying attention to other things. Okay. That's um, just that, that judgmental automatic thought just doesn't come into my brain like, like what you had described. So there was that. But because I'm not that way, when people do disappoint me, it really, really affects me big time. Like it's very, I bet you it's a lot easier for you to shake off people than it is for me. Because I don't, I don't, I, it depends on what you mean. Like what do you mean by shake off people? Like someone who is an asshole. Okay. I think maybe it seems like maybe you can shake them off because you're like, well, you're already ugly. I already judged you for that. So fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. That's me projecting or, or guessing. But, uh, but I, I know, especially people that I'm, I'm close to, I think because I, I am so non-judgmental on a lot of things. When it when something does go wrong, it man, it just it really devastates me. Like it really, really gets to me. Maybe this is another loose association. I don't know, but I associate that with because I'm not paying attention to so much uh, of the superficial or so much of the whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that when something does actually go south, then I don't know. I just feel really, really like stabbed in the heart. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, maybe that's for another topic or another day, maybe. But good stuff, man. I feel like we had one of the most cerebral chats that we've had just now in a long time. I cannot believe we almost did two hours. We almost did two hours. Doesn't feel like. I hope that someone can actually sit through this whole thing and listen because we really got into some good topics, man. (laughs) Because I I enjoyed today a lot, and I know I kind of uh, talked a lot as well. But that's all good. These were. 
important points to me. Yeah. Very important for to sure. me. Stuff I've actually, I spent a lot of time thinking about. Yeah. And we just kind of gravitated toward them. So anyway. Cool. Good stuff, man. Yeah. Peace out. Be easy, Stevie. Thanks again to you, the CEP listener. Remember that word of mouth feels like an extreme boost of confidence for us. So don't forget to tell your friends and fam about the great variety that you hear right here on the CEP. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you consume your podcast to keep the variety coming straight to your ear holes with the automaticity. Also on that note, when you go to Apple Podcasts, it would help us immensely if you would give us that five-star rating while you're there to show your love for the CEP. And speaking of love, go to the socials, give us your love. Come on, we know you can do it. And be sure to visit the new and improved launching pad for all things cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, if you need to contact us, you can do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Pick up all of your official CEP network merch at bijack.com slash CEP. And that's all I've got, folks. So until next time, be sure to keep those big, beautiful brains of yours nice and toasty out there. See ya.